Uh, welcome to the Denverse. I'm Derek. And I'm Quinn. And it's been a while. And there's no real reason we decided to start doing it today. But uh, we're back with another new episode. Hey, it, like it's not always when you need it. And it's not always on time. But we're here and happy to have the Denverse back in action. Uh, Quinn is joining us from New York City, um, getting the outside view of the Denverse. And um, I would say that one of the impetuses for us starting this was, well, we can do a podcast when Quinn's in New York because we saw Bull Bull eating breakfast in Denver when he was on the Boston Celtics. So you can do <laughs> things from anywhere now. Right, yeah. Um, like with work from home, um the nft metaverse space like yeah the third dimension is no longer a necessary realm to work out of so here we are holding it down just time so, zones be damned just so you know if all podcasts only happen in the metaverse i'm done i'm out that's fair um and <laughs> I, I don't know how close or far away we are to that but um by that point, I feel like podcasts are no longer going to be a thing. I think it'll just be neuralinked, where like podcasts will just be uploaded into your conscious, and instead of like an hour listening time, it just happens in a fraction of a second, and you've downloaded the banter. So, um, imagine if we could do that with some of the Broncos games we've watched over the last five years. Just watch it in about two seconds. <laughs> I mean, just a straight shot of misery um, to the brain. Yeah, I don't like. I feel either that's great, get it over with, or that's infinitely more depressing. <laughs> well, let's actually start with the Denver Broncos. Um, since last we talked, they've uh, switched uh, coaches. Vic Fangio is gone. Nathaniel Hackett uh, of the Green Bay Packers has come in to try to right the ship and maybe bring Aaron Rodgers in. Um, they don't have a quarterback currently, but Rodgers is definitely their first pick. Just overall, do you have some optimism for the Broncos now, or do you feel like we're in a show-me-something after two failed head coaches? Oh, I mean, it's certainly show-me-something. I think um, one interesting thread is the fact that like, so much of the narrative had been, oh, the Broncos are just a quarterback away, and yet the Broncos had no pro bowlers this season. Um, and losing Fangio, like our defense, which had looked better, is that going to be as stout coming into next year? Like at this point, why would Aaron Rodgers want to come to the Broncos if there's not a guarantee that the um, position players are good enough? If, is the defense going to hold down the offense? So, um, yeah, optimism is not a word I could use for the Broncos right now. Well, and I'm, I was strongly of the opinion that they needed to bring in someone that had head coaching experience. Um, if you look at their history, the last first-time head coach that was successful in Denver was Dan Reeves. Um, Mike Shanahan had previous head coaching experience. Obviously, John Fox and Gary Kubiak had previous head coaching experience. Whenever they've brought in a first-time head coach, including Wade Phillips, it hasn't gone well. In fact, I think 
Wade Phillips is the last coach to even make the playoffs as a first-time head coach for the Broncos. Um, and so I was underwhelmed by them trying to bring in another, I guess is a, they're not actually calling him a genius, just a, just a guy that is a first-time head coach. Um, yeah, I was disappointed in the hire just from that standpoint. And then I felt like the media fell in line and we saw a lot of the same quotes and accolades that we'd seen for Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio. So until he shows us something different, I don't think anything has really changed in Denver. Yeah, I was like, after two failed defensive coaches, it makes sense to try for an offensive coach, especially like a young upstart um, offensive coordinator turned coach. But Hackett just doesn't, he doesn't have that wow factor that I think a lot of fans would um, be motivated by, not like a Mike McDaniel or um, any of the guys in the mold of a Sean McVay. So that's certainly underwhelming. But, I mean, the guy has his credentials coming from Green Bay. Don't know much about the rest of his staff. Uh, Clint Kubiak, we know him. But yeah. Oh, right. Okay. I I have no idea. (laughs) It's sad when you know more about the Raiders coach than you know about the Broncos coach. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like this team is not going to live and die by, I think it's coaching right now. It's just all personnel and, of course, all on the quarterback. I think um, the new offensive coordinator said he was interested to see how um, Drew Locke could fit in the new system. But if we're going into the season with Drew Locke anywhere part of the conversation, it means that we're only expecting to have a slightly better version of last year. Also tells you the offensive coordinator hasn't watched any games from the last two and a half years. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, it's just that like, it's the tepid optimism um, that has become so familiar in Denver. Like, well, let's just see what will happen next. Doesn't sound like a great plan. And certainly um, not a lot of confidence in the signal color at this point. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, and it's also funny because let's get we'll get to Aaron Rodgers in a minute, but the second best thing that could happen is bringing someone who we've already brought in and been excited about, Peyton Manning, into the ownership group. Like that's the thing that's going to move the needle for the fans right now. And now that that's out there, I can't see any other owner coming in and fans being anywhere near as excited about it if it's not Manning at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like. Again, Broncos have just been such a mess that no one, no fan wants to have to root for a new ownership group, regardless of who it is. Um, but I mean, of course, an excitement with Manning and like how lucky we are that was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and just one of the best personalities in football has chosen to care about Denver so much. Um, yeah, that would be so cool, but with, like, the ongoing racial reckoning in the NFL, there's been some optimism around uh, 
billionaire, black, uh, black billionaire, Robert Smith. And if I'm him, there's, besides just the excitement of having a football team, why would you want to come to Denver right now and have the added pressure of like being the first black majority owner of a team? Like, yeah, but that's, those are the things that we have to be excited for. Either Peyton Manning, who's just an absolute lovable person or like points and credit of social justice, um, which to smooth over the NFL's shitty image at the moment. When really all we've been wanting for is decent quarterback play. So many unnecessary narratives to try to make up for that missing fact. I think that that sort of goes to the whole thing with the NFL right now. And we've talked about this a little bit with Aaron Rodgers. Bringing in a guy that thought through the power of positive thinking he'd somehow been vaccinated. Um, (laughs) That that would be the guy that you would want as your quarterback. It's kind of hard to take a moral stand when we still watch the NFL knowing the kind of injuries that these players are getting, the CTE effects. I mean, even Demarius Thomas, you just look at that and you're like, this wasn't a car accident. This was playing football for 15 years of your life. Um, And obviously we don't know that for sure. They are going to send his brain to be looked at for CTE, but the NFL is on a cliff that as soon as they can do CTE testing while someone is alive, this whole thing's about to blow up. And we, we continue to watch the NFL. So it's hard for me to say, well, I'm going to stand on a moral, on moral ground and say we shouldn't have Aaron Rodgers as our quarterback. No, I mean, the, putting all the moral stuff aside, the easiest fix to all of that is winning. And I think as Americans as a whole, we've just, we're like, yeah, this is messed up, that's messed up, but we should still be number one. And as a football fan this long, I've had, I've had to like just not even put blinders on, but it's just kind of like I've whelped so many things. It's just, well, yeah, that's whack, and I'm still going to watch. And with Aaron Rodgers, for me, it would just be – he's just so goofy. And it, it's hard – because the comparison would then be, well, can he live up to Peyton Manning's legacy in Denver? And both were like our MV, multiple-time MVP quarterbacks tail into their career coming in um, with kind of the dark cloud of never being able to, not being able to finish um, and get Super Bowls as much as they should be given their talent. So the, the narratives would be very similar, but one, you have Peyton Manning as charming and commercial-friendly as it comes, and even though you do have discount and double-check Aaron Rodgers, yeah, it seems like such a long way. The dude is just goofy at this point, immunized versus um, – he said he was inoculated, or what did he say? Whatever it is. Yeah, uh, he, he was <laughs> just because he'd had COVID. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so he wasn't vaccinated, but he was immunized, yeah. quote, unquote. And I just want to get back to watching football and having the storylines be about football. Um, and Rodgers is going to bring that circus to an already, like, fraught situation. And, of course, I would take him. Of course, I would take an MVP for maybe two to three years um, 
I don't know when you like seeing Aaron Rodgers play, like because he was in the NFC North, we didn't see him nearly as much as we saw Brady. Um, in your mind, do you think that he is a multiple season talent at this point? At what, 37, 38 years old? Yeah, I mean, the main thing about him, like, obviously, he's had a little bit of injury problems, but I mean, the last two years have been so incredible as far as just like what he's been able to do. And obviously, some of that's the talent around him, but I just think he's still at, at, at worst a top five quarterback. Unfortunately, he wouldn't be the best quarterback in the division because I think Mahomes is better than Rodgers at this point. But I think that that, at least it puts you back into the conversation. But if you were going to say, do I, I don't know, it's hard. Like if for some reason Tom Brady decided he wanted to come here in his I'm not actually retiring campaign, do I think Brady would have a better chance of succeeding than Rodgers? I think probably, even though he's older, just because I trust Brady to not get distracted by everything else. And given, mm-hmm. I mean, the media circus, I don't, I'm not sure that Broncos fans understand what it's like in the NFL outside of Denver, but Denver has such a media presence around the Broncos that it's a spotlight all of the time. Like, I don't know how one of the requirements of being the Broncos quarterback is that you have to do a show with Dave Logan every week. What's that going to be like, especially compared to him going on McAfee's show? every week like it's just there's all these unknowns that even with Brady who isn't coming here like there's absolutely no reason for Brady to come to the Broncos um I just think that you are you're you're entering a more volatile situation that has less to do with Rodgers play on the field than it does what does that look like around him and just because everything about the Broncos gets turned up to a 10 I just (laughs) I'm not sure what it's like. This is going to be, I got a really corny line when it's turned up to a 12 with Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> no, a round of applause on that. It was a perfect level of corny that um, I've missed so dearly on the pod. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's tough. And like for me, I just can't find the motivation to, dive into the Broncos until like I see a winning problem field like mm-hmm. the excitement of those first four games last season was just so refreshing but I think only the hardiest of fools were looking at it like we are fully back baby like let's talk about playoffs now um not since Trevor Simeon beat the Dallas Cowboys in like what week two of the 20 20- 17 season where it was already to be like, okay, baby, we are back. Um, so that's where like Rogers would be cool. It would, for me, would be dial it up from a uh, mad to a, mm, okay. Um, and without that, it's like, all right, we, ver- we draft a first round QB and then do we give him the reins right away or do we let Drew Locke or another free agent quarterback um, pilot the ship until it's proven that they can't throw the rookie and then start that copium again and um, buy into what, like another two seasons of, well, maybe this is finally the guy. Yeah. It's just a, it's a bad cycle with coaches. It's a bad cycle with quarterbacks. Um, just not not a 
when you say like what what are you willing to get a Super Bowl? I'm not sure if the Broncos fans knew that 10 years of mediocrity, but that's sometimes what it takes. I mean, I think that's where the Rams are set up for is that they I don't think that they have a sustainable team. So, what was the Super Bowl worth to them with no draft picks? Um it's it's going to be interesting to see, but let's actually get to a more interesting conversation. In that, and I will I will say I'm sorry to my Denver Broncos. I have cared about them the longest and the most in my life, and it's just it's a dead of winter type feeling for them. Um, in future pods, I am excited to then like yeah start to huff that copium and see who we're gonna draft. But at this point, it's like, Broncos, you are exactly where you deserve to be in the hearts and minds of, I think, many Broncos fans. Well, on that note, let's talk about seeing where your care level is on another subject. So, the Denver Nuggets. Um, You kind of have never recovered from the bubble. Like, I remember when we were doing podcasts for last season, it was just like, I'm just happy for the ride. Because, like, I just don't yeah. think you could get beyond what had happened in the bubble, the, the highs and the lows. Um, where are you now? And, I mean, we've had, much, we've had much lower lows since then. I think I told you. I mean, the Murray injury last year obviously was so devastating. But after Porter went out in November and it was just like, we're not sure when he's ever going to get to play again, I kind of couldn't even watch for, like, a month because I was so just despondent about, like, how this had happened so quickly. Um, I've recovered since then, but sort of where are you looking at the Nuggets sitting in sixth place in the uh, NBA right now, or sorry, in the Western Conference with the hope of Murray and Porter maybe returning? What are your thoughts right now on this team? Man, I'll say, like, this is my birthday week. Um, I was in New Orleans earlier this week. Yesterday in New York, it was 65 degrees. Today it is 32 and my spirits are so high. This may be the best day of the week because it is finally post-All-Star break game day. Where am I in terms of the Denver Nuggets? I am back not only enjoying the ride, I am at the front of the roller coaster ready for all of the twists, dips, and turns. Um, I'm feeling so good about the team right now. Um, there's sixth place in the West after... Yeah, well, one, like, it's just a competitive field of newcomers, and um, Nuggets have not been at full strength this whole season. I'm feeling optimistic with the caveat that I don't think Murray or Porter are going to come back in any meaningful way until the playoffs. Even if they don't, I still have high hopes for this team. Outside of Jokic, what what are your high hopes pinned on right now? Well, I mean, the MVP race itself is just so exciting um, with Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Um, like, I'm a fully fan of basketball at this point. I, I'm sorry to the Denverse, our many listeners. I am a, a part-time bandwagon Knicks fan at this point. It's just so exciting to see basketball again. Um, I don't think you need to apologize to us. I think that the Knicks need to apologize to you for sucking you in in any way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm ready to be heard on multiple levels because that's how good I feel about the Nuggets. Um, I mean, Jokic with another MVP run, but then 
getting I love the games where you just get to watch every player's um minutes and see like okay so what are they doing at this point Aaron Gordon I think has been underrated although he's a near max player um seeing him play defense the cuts that he's making to the basket his um post and mid-range game has been improved greatly I think at one point last year or beginning of this season I was talking about I've never seen a big man look as unconfident as he does mm-hmm. when he posts up but he's changed it around he's like muscling his way to the paint his fadeaways are pretty so sorry, I could talk break down every single player but I would say outside of Jokic we have Gordon um Monte Morris of course that beautiful game winner um close out the before the break our bench with boogie cousins like oh dude the joys of having a backup center um and then bones highland i even now like watching faku play because when he's in the game it means it's a blowout so carefree Bryn forbes has been a great addition so yeah man just the team as a whole it's been exciting um to watch individually even though the Nuggets, of course, are, can still be frustrating. The more basketball I watch that isn't Nuggets, I realize, oh, every team is capable of blowing 20-point leads. <laughs> well, so so you really think it's watching other basketball that's gotten you back into the Nuggets? Yeah, a little, because it helps me appreciate what we have. Yeah. Um, and that Jokic is so good, he's elevating the team, even missing the... Uh, second and third best players in the roster that the team is capable of handling themselves. And I, we haven't, I can't remember the last time we played Phoenix. I guess that game has to be coming up soon. Um, it remains to be seen. Are we a seven series team yet? Like how playoff ready are they? But the squad has grit, man. Um, the grit and the talent. I think at any point, there's a chance that this squad, as it's currently constructed, can take on any other team in the league. Well, you are right. We've got one more matchup against the Suns, March 24th. Um, So (laughs) get to sort of see how we match up against them. It's actually a fairly easy schedule for the most part down the stretch. They've got a, a few hard games in the middle of their schedule, but a lot of easy games on the outside. So it should be, hopefully, if they can get healthy and start bringing back Murray and Porter. I mean, their last eight games are the Thunder, the Hornets, the Pacers, the Timberwolves, the Lakers twice, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies, which is a hard game. But otherwise, feel pretty good about that schedule <laughs> to close out the season. Yeah, man. That's – and I, there's – it cannot be overstated – um, like the benefit of playoff experience at this point, like when this Nuggets squad, like its core, is like playoff bona fide. And I think right now the matchup would be against the Grizzlies. Of course, the Grizzlies, John Morant is incredible. Um, but I would take a six seed Nuggets over a three seed. Grizzlies, of course, because of all of my biases, but really because like this team 
Mike, Mike Malone, I still think, is one of the best coaches in the league who doesn't get the recognition as such. And um, this team knows what it's like to grind it out in a way that a very young upstart Grizzlies team has not experienced yet. Well, I, I hope you're right. Being a Nuggets fan, I have very little hope in that happening. But if Murray can come back, and I think that it really is Murray. Like, I think if Porter comes back right now, he's maybe the fifth or sixth best player on the team um, because he just hasn't shown it consistently. Like, he has not shown yeah. a top three player on this team. I mean, you know, a top three talent, no doubt. But, yeah, in terms of capabilities of being that not sure and I did I still know like I, I'm fairly certain Murray would come back but I can't imagine him being the close to bubble Murray or even um, like Murray of the say last 25 games of last season before his injury mm-hmm. I think it'll be a very slow run up for him like I, I would just picture him and Monte Morris to be similar players um, in terms of playmaking ability and scoring. But those are two solid dudes, two solid guards. Defense, I can't imagine um, him having any defensive impact. I mean, there's never been that player, but especially coming off of uh, such a catastrophic injury. So... Man, I just I like the way this team is built right now. Man, the bench has been fun to watch. Uh, Been able to maintain some leads in a lot of games. Um, Yeah, with Porter, he he would just be a nice addition if he's able to hit shots. If he's able to play like the defense he was playing at the beginning of the season, I think that would be really helpful. Very great compliment to Aaron Gordon when they're both on the floor together. But. Neither the addition of Murray or Porter are are what's giving me hope right now. It's just the team as it is constructed. Well, and then of course they're playing the Kings tonight, which I think have beat the Nuggets twice this season. The Kings have had the Nuggets number, so um, yep. give me a quick call tomorrow night and let's see how I'm feeling after the game. They're playing the Kings two in a row, so if they get swept by the Kings, that's going to be rough. Um, well, we'll have much more time to talk about the Nuggets, but I wanted to point something out. The 538 model right now has the Nuggets as a 10% chance of winning the finals. They're the fourth, tied for the fourth best odds in the NBA, which just seems crazy, but they're pretty high on the Nuggets still. Um, Another model that came out yesterday that has me really freaked out was the athletics model for the NHL. The Avs currently have a 24% chance of winning the Stanley Cup finals, according to this athletic model. Those expectations are really scary. Like, as an Az fan that completely believes in this team, like that, that much of a favorite over everyone else. I mean, I think that the next team was probably 15, 10 to 15%. Like that, like one in four chance of winning. And obviously, you know, it means nothing. It's just something that someone comes up with. But it's just crazy that that could even exist. And the level of expectations for this Avs team, which has you know, been so good, didn't lose in January in regulation, like just all of these crazy things, it's just, and their goaltending has come around, like the Avs are now in that window where if this core doesn't win a championship, it's going to be disappointing, Um, 
I uh, close to like all time disappointment, isn't it? Like this would be the third year in a row that they've been close to the favorites. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it is. You know, the the expectations kind of just came out of nowhere when they came out of the bubble, but then they looked, or not before the bubble, um, and then the year in the bubble obviously was very disappointing when they lost to the Char- to the Stars and should have won, and then last year against the Knights where they blew the Knights out in the first round and then just complete, or the first game and then completely fell apart. Um, and when you have arguably two of the five best players in the game with McCarr and McKinnon, and some nights McCarr is a better player than McKinnon, it's just... It's, yeah, you said that recently. Yeah. That you had mentioned way too confidently that oh, McKinnon might not even be the best player on the team. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, there's, there's a debate whether, you know, McKinnon, McKinnon's one of the, the top five best forwards in the league. I think usually most people would say he's two or three. There's really no... No one's reasonably debating that McCarr isn't the best defenseman in the league. Um, there's some people that sort of knock down his defensive game, but when you actually watch it, he's he's pretty solid and has pretty good numbers back there. Um, but his offensive ability, like he's on pace to have the best offensive season in like 25 years for a defenseman. Um, so I think that that really, <laughs> you know, that really changes how you look at things and look at this team and Devon Taves, his partner, They've been the top defensive pairing in the league because Taves has been so good. Like, he'd be in the running for defensive player of the year if not for McKinnon. Like, no one's going to give him any votes just because of McKinnon. But it's it's pretty crazy to watch. Um, you know, Kadri coming out of nowhere after the disappointment of being suspended last year and not even being in the night series and now coming up and having his best season. He now has more points this season than he's ever had in his career for a full season. That has just been a shock of him being their fourth best forward easily um, up there with McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog and being voted in as an all-star. Um, you know, for the most part, the secondary scoring has been pretty good. It's it's fallen off a little bit. Andre Burakovsky is really struggling on that top line. Um, Logan O'Connor, who really had a tear early in the season, has kind of gone back and isn't really scoring. But the fact that the goaltending of Kemper and Francois for the most part has been solid the last six weeks completely changes how this team can look at the trade deadline. Like it looked like they needed to find a goalie to help these guys. Now they don't. And so it means that they can add a forward like Claude Giroux or Joe Pavelski. I saw Philippe Forsberg of the Predators might be available. Um, Like those being able to add those names instead of trying to fix a problem just makes your team so much deeper. And the other thing that they might need is another defenseman, but Bo Byram is skating again after being out for on and off this year with post-concussion symptoms. So at the beginning when I said I'm scared of these expectations, I'm also, I just don't see a lot of weaknesses in this team. They have tough guys. Um, They're standing up to people more than they did last year. You can't push them around like you used to. Like teams try. But this team is very feisty. I mean, Taylor Hall, you know, hit McKinnon in the face with his own stick and broke his nose. And the whole night, the Avs were going after him, trying to get something happening. In the past, teams have felt like they could bully the Avalanche. But it just, they don't have that ability as much just with some of the guys they have on this team. 
That's well. So I want to take a step back real quick, just because it's been a whole season, and um, as I still am in my process of learning and understanding hockey, what happened to our boy Grubauer? Um, he, I know, what in the bubble season, he was like the backup goaltender and we were like unsure about it but he played up to a level of expectation that we were like okay we don't need um Varlamov anymore Grubauer is our guy like a fan favorite yeah and that, what happened he's in was, Seattle now yeah that was the season before the bubble and then yeah so he had two years of the playoffs and basically the Avs were going to have to pay him a huge contract it was not clear if they were going to be able to keep Landeskog if they paid him the contract and, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think that the Avs, uh, Joe Sackick and the Avs front office looked at Grubauer, and they looked at how he's played in the playoffs the last two years, and they decided that they didn't think he was the guy that could get them to the finals. And there is some precedent for this with him. He was on the Capitals' Stanley Cup team. He was the starting goaltender to start that playoff run, and he was benched. Um, and didn't end up being the goaltender that won the Stanley Cup for them. So I think that they really, you know, that Vegas series got out of hand so quickly, and I think that they felt like he didn't rise to the challenge. And so they decided he wasn't worth the price that Seattle paid for him, and they've been completely right. He's been one of the worst goaltenders in the league, and a lot of that has been because Seattle isn't very good, and they don't have a good defensive team around him. But the Avs up until last year, weren't very good on defense, and he was able to make some stops for them. So it's hard to say what those factors were, but it looks like they've made the right decision. For for a while, Kemper was just as bad as Grubauer this year, but he's really turned it around the last month, and he's also an unrestricted free agent after this year. So they knew that this was a short-term plan that maybe will turn into a long-term plan, but I think they really want to see what happens in the playoffs. And Francois for a while looked like he was going to challenge Kemper. He hasn't played that well the last couple of weeks, but they at least feel like they have two guys right now. And I think there's an outside chance they go get a third guy. The Islanders have fallen apart. Maybe Varlamov is someone they bring back here, depending on you know, what the price would be. Um, because ri- right now, the Avs are basically only going to be giving up prospects and a couple of the fringe players, maybe like a Jost or a Comfer. Um, but they're not giving up anything big given how they feel about this team. I know a lot of people want Alex Newhook, who has been sort of the third-line center. He wears number 18, and it's hard to not make comparisons to Chris Drury. He's a little smaller and a little more um, agile than Drury, uh, but it is like you are seeing somewhere where you're just like, you're going to be a great player in this league. Um, so I don't think they'll give up someone of that talent, um, or I don't think they'll give up Bo Byram either. So, you know, it's trading prospects, and it's just like, how do you get better this way? Um, And I think the other thing is, like, they don't have those holes. You know, the last couple years, Joe Sackick tried to bring Carl Soderberg and Patrick Nemeth back, and that really didn't work because he was trying to fill holes. He doesn't have to fill holes as much. He just has to make the team better, and that's just such a better place to be where you're just like, we don't have an identifiable weakness that teams can see, so we can just basically make the best deal for us that is such an amazing position to be but it feels like the night i'm sorry the as for the past few seasons i guess besides goals ending didn't have huge holes it was just like 
if all of the guys that we have on the squad play to the level of expectation, there really aren't too many teams that can challenge them. Why do you think the national models favor the Avs so much this year? How is that different than the kind of expectations of the past few seasons? Yeah, I mean, they've just been so much better than everyone else after the first, like, six games of the season. Like, they started out really rough, and then basically since then, they've just gone on a tear. Uh, They currently sit at 78 points. Uh, The second closest team is the Panthers with 75 points, and, you know, the NHL has the weird, you get two points for an overtime loss. But the Avs only have four overtime losses. They're 37, 10, and 4. And the second closest team in the Western Conference is... 50, 30, and 14. Oh, sorry, no, the Flames have come back. They're th- the Flames are 30, 13, and 6 for 66 points. So they're 12 points back from the Avs in the Western Conference. They're just sort of running away with it. And they've scored so many more goals than everyone else. Currently, they've scored 204 goals. Um, I guess this is, again, in the Western Conference. The Panthers have scored that many goals. But the second closest team in the Western Conference has scored 186 goals. And that's the Minnesota Wild. So the numbers they're putting up are just crazy compared to what the rest of the league is doing. Um, And again, they're good defensively. And it's just rare that you have both. And they just haven't been this good defensively. The fact that Eric Eric Johnson has been healthy and able to help on that second or third pairing with Jack Johnson, who was a huge pickup. As I said, McCarr and Taves. Uh, Gerard is finally doing what he's doing. And then that other defensemen is sort of rotating. Um, I think that that's just really the difference. They haven't also just also haven't been this healthy. Um, and that's, that's the thing that could derail them. That isn't just a disappointment is can they stay healthy through a playoff run? Um, and that's where you need Sackick to fill in with some more guys where it's like, we just need to add to our depth for the inevitable injuries and hopefully not suspensions this time as they head into the playoffs. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, man, I'm excited to announce that on um, Monday, March 7th, I will be in attendance um, against the New York Islanders. I uh, was gifted tickets for my birthday, so nice. um, I will. Yeah, I will need a um, another crash course to just make sure that I can talk as much shit to Islanders fans. Um, and be as knowledgeable as possible to back that up. Yeah, well, it's not hard right now. The Islanders have just completely fallen apart. Um, And I don't, yeah, just kind of a lost season out there uh, in their new stadium. But I'm excited to hear how the stadium is. Um, Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, have you thought at all about baseball in the last five months? Um, Shout out to a user on the baseball reddit um he has drawn a picture of um oh, i'm terrible well okay so no i have not i've just been following <laughs> a few of the memes um that i've seen um yeah but i'm like with schadenfreude watching uh mlb and the players association argue back and forth like it's funny that they're having this much trouble arguing over something no one really cares about at this point. It's 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's impossible. I mean, it's crazy to think that there's an argument that somehow the NHL is in the best shape of any of the leagues right now, given how much problem that they've had and the fact that Gary Bettman has just been the villain of hockey for the last 30 years. But they came to an agreement really quickly. They're not having the issues that everyone else seems to be having. You know, the NBA has its huge players are controlling everything problem. The NFL has every problem. And then baseball has just the dumbest commissioner who can't get out of his own way, says the teams aren't profitable, says that the championship trophy is just a piece of metal, and then says that, you know, this is all the players. He locked them out to try to spur negotiations and then didn't offer up anything for a month. Like, it's just, they're such a mess. They're so divorced from the reality of what sports are like and what fan bases are like. And this lockout should be about how do we make our pro our product more appetizing in the 21st century? And I think there are a lot of ways to do it. And instead, they're arguing about at what level do we start taxing uh, teams that go over the luxury tax? Like, that's that's basically what it comes down to is that they're just trying – it's all about money in a time where we're dealing with a p pandemic, now a war in Europe, uh, inflation, all of these things. And it's like, you guys are arguing about this? Um, it doesn't it doesn't look good. And I will say, like, I'm, you know, I'm almost always more on the player's side on these things. But I actually think that the players are trying to make baseball better. And I don't feel like the owners are trying to make baseball better at all. What would make baseball better? Because, like, one thing that I'm looking at is if the season is shortened, nobody is going to care. Like, that may be a plus um, at the end. Is that how um, baseball gets better from the player's perspective? Or what are they really fighting for? Right now they're really fighting for how do we make the teams that don't spend any money spend money. Like, right now there is no incentive to be good in baseball unless you're great at baseball. Because they don't even have a draft lottery, which is one of the things the players are fighting for. If you're the worst team in baseball, you get the number one pick. Um, if you don't spend any money, there is no penalty for you. So the free agent market has completely collapsed. If you're a young player, they can hold you out for a season so that they can keep you under contract for an extra year. Uh, there's really no incentive for young players. And then once you finally get to free agency, they're not paying free agents because... A third of the teams, at least, and sometimes more, aren't even trying to compete. And so that's really the, from a regional rev level, baseball needs to make it so that every team is trying to compete, and that's not happening right now. Um, oh, I mean, as Rockies fans, um, yeah, I well, can identify no, that's that. that's the worst part about the Rockies. The Rockies actually spend money compared to other teams, and they're still like this. Like, it seems like... <laughs> <laughs> they make these bad decisions, and it seems like they're not competing, but then they spend a bunch of money on stuff where you're just like, no one else is spending money on this, and you're losing all of your best players. So what are you doing here? Um, so it has been fun to watch the, why is the guy that gave away Nolan Arenado and $50 million in charge of the negotiations? Because he's been at the table for every one of these negotiations, Dick Monfort. Um and I think he actually is probably one of the people that has the most to lose right now with the season not happening. He needs people in McGregor Square. It has not been packed a lot of the time I've been downtown since baseball season ended, and he spent all of that money building it. He has an, an opening 
month of the season where he's going to get revenue that he otherwise wouldn't normally because of the teams that are coming in. They've got the Dodgers for three, then they go on the road, and then they come back for a four-game series against the Cubs and a three-game series against the Phillies. If they actually cancel those games, that's a huge part of the revenue of the season that they're not going to get from those out-of-town fans. Um, so I think that he actually has a lot to lose in the next week if they don't make a deal by Monday and they start canceling games in April. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. I had to look up McGregor Square. I feel like that and the I-70 tunnel now are like the two things that have changed since I moved to Denver, moved out of Denver. And I'm looking at it. It's called McGregor Square, listed on Google as a tourist attraction. Um, yeah, they've really done it. Get it up. Yeah, I mean, so you've been down there before? Yeah, they've got sort of a food hall in there. Um, the old, uh, <clears throat> what's it called? Tom's, they've got Tom's Watch Bar, which is the, what's that bar, that place called? Tom's Home Cooking, is that, no, that was the old barbecue place. Tom's, it was 24. Uh, diner, Yeah. 24. Yeah, the one that's in the airport now. Basically, they built the sports bar that's like multiple levels. They've got top golf simulators in there. They've got a hotel. They've got living spaces. They've got a tattered cover. Um, it's just, you know, it's a whole thing. And they basically, the deal was the city sold the land to the Monforts in exchange for, for a, I think, a dollar in exchange for the lease to Coors Field for the next 100 years and stadium improvements. So they've invested a lot of money in McGregor Square. Yeah, and I'm sure those margins start to get tighter and tighter every missed home game. Well, and I mean, it's just crazy that they'd miss games this season after, you know, the shortened season of two years ago with no fans and then no fans to start the season last year. Um, I mean, I guess there were a few fans. You and I watched right. from my backyard. Uh, and then I went to the saddest opening day ever where they gave out T-shirts or something. So, <laughs> um, Like halfway through the season when the Rockies were already five games out. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, when they start losing games, I'll be interested sort of what people's reaction is because again baseball needs to do things to change their popularity and they're i mean you know luxury tax is a thing that people aren't going to understand what would change they're not even talking about how do we actually make the game more exciting yet um yeah that's and so uh, real quick we could only talk about we didn't even talk about rockies just baseball and the business aspect I mean, you mentioned that, yeah, free agency has collapsed. Yeah, the fact that Trevor's story still doesn't have a team. Yeah, and, um, and I don't think he would get what, if if 30 teams were competing for him, I'm guessing he'll, he would end up getting a better contract than if only eight teams are competing for him. Um, so right, yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, at some point we should get into what would actually make baseball more interesting? Because I've got a lot of ideas on that, um, and they don't seem interested in any of them. So we'll see. <laughs> um, well, thanks for doing this. It was good to get back into the Denverse. Yeah, man. Uh, this has been the Denverse. <laughs> I'm Derek. <laughs> I'm Quinn. See ya. <laughs>